Welcome back to Takes by the Lake. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com here, and i got to admit, I'm, I'm almost a little sad. This is the last Takes by the Lake podcast before the NFL draft. We've done a bunch of Browns podcasts over the last several months. Gearing up for this draft, it's here. It's a chance for the Browns to change their franchise. I've had a lot of fun doing these podcasts, and I saved... One of my favorite guests for last, he's Dane Brugler. He is the senior NFL draft analyst for NFLDraftScout.com. You should go there right now and read his stuff. He has a draft guide that you can buy. You should be following him on Twitter, at D.P. Brugler. That's B-R-U-G-L-E-R. He's an Ohio native. He's been doing this for about 10 years professionally. Um, he knows his stuff. He knows the prospects. He knows how NFL teams think. And this is what we did for this podcast. I wanted Dane to put this draft class into context for us. So as we think about Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield, I wanted to think about them in the context of Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and Mitchell Trubisky and all the quarterbacks the Browns did not draft the last two years that a lot of people got wound up about. How do these guys, these quarterbacks, compare to those guys as prospects? I wanted to talk about Saquon Barkley in the context of Leonard Fournette and Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley and other top 10 running backs of the recent past. I wanted to talk about Denzel Ward, who's a candidate, maybe, for that fourth pick for the Browns and compare him to other recent Ohio State cornerbacks. How does Denzel Ward compare as a prospect to Marshawn Lattimore, who was the 11th pick last year? How does Bradley Chubb, who might be the fourth pick for the Browns, compare to recent top five pass rushers like Joey Bosa, like Miles Garrett, like Jadavion Clowney? Dane Brugler is a guy who can do that. I can't do that. I can't tell you if Sam Darnold is a better draft prospect than Carson Wentz. But I think you should know that. So Dane Brugler is here to tell you that. If you guys want to get subscribed to Takes by the Lake, go to Google Play, go to iTunes, get subscribed. Make sure you don't miss a podcast. Just because the draft is going to be over doesn't mean we're going to stop. We're going to keep doing Brown stuff here. We'll do Cavs stuff here maybe if the playoffs keep going. We'll do Indian stuff here. We'll do other stuff here. So thanks to you guys. Again, it's been fun. I think everybody's glad it's here, but it's been fun to lead up to this. We did a Josh Allen podcast last week. We did the Ideal Browns draft. We did 10 Burning Questions, three podcasts last week. If you missed any of those, but don't miss this one. He's Dane Brugler. you got to hear what he has to say about half an hour on the context of these prospects that very well might be the next Cleveland Browns. One of my absolute favorites, Dane Brugler. Known him for a while. I just told Dane we've abused him for a while. We talked to him a lot here at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, but it's because we respect his work so much. I think Dane has an understanding of the NFL draft, obviously the prospects and the players involved, but also sort of the thinking in the NFL, how teams go about it. He's, he's locked in. He knows what's going on, and I just think he's a great evaluator of talent. So, Dane Brugler, thank you for joining us on Takes by the Lake. Anytime. Thanks, Doug. 
Dane, the thing I want to do with you is try to get some context on some of these prospects that are in play for the Browns on draft night. Um, I feel like there are a lot of great choices for them. I feel like there's a lot of different ways they could go, but I'm interested in trying to figure out just how good some of the guys out there are compared to other recent players. So the thing I want to start with is not surprisingly the quarterbacks. And Dane, when you have evaluated Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson, in, in your mind, how do they compare to the top quarterbacks of the past couple years? Because we know the Browns uh, were up high a couple years ago, did not draft Jared Goff or Carson Wentz. Last year, Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson all went uh, in the top 12. And now we have five very highly rated quarterbacks here. In your mind, Dane, are any of these quarterbacks this year as good as Wentz and Goff? Are they as good as Mitch Trubisky? How do you put these guys in context? Yeah, and I think it's important that you know we're talking just draft grades, you know, evaluations based on what we saw in college. So we have to kind of block out what they've done at the NFL level up to this point right. and just talk about as prospects and for me, uh, Darnold has a higher grade than any of these quarterbacks the last two years. Uh, he would be above uh, uh, Wentz and Goff and then Trubisky last year. I think those three would be on that. If Sam Darnold's on a first tier, and then I think Wentz, Goff, and Trubisky would be on that second tier. I, and then I think below them would be uh, Rosen and Mayfield. Um, and so it's uh, – Darnold, you know, and I – He's so interesting because there, there's so much to like about him. Does he need to get better in a few areas? Absolutely. The turnovers, that, that's a big deal. But, you know, for a, a player that's only 20 years old, uh, and when you include kind of his path, uh, you know, his, uh, the fact that he's really been starting at a, a big-time level for three years now because um, he didn't play uh, his junior year. Uh, he was a well, he was a linebacker, wide receiver as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Missed almost all of his junior year uh, as a quarterback. And then, so really just a senior year at, in high school, and then uh, last two seasons at USC. So we're only talking three years he was the guy at USC. Um, and, you know, I, there's a lot to take from what he's shown on the field. So I think you're, you're comfortable with who he is now, but you're even more comfortable with who you think he can be two to three years from now. Uh, so for me, Donald has the top grade out of uh, all these quarterbacks the last three years. Um, and then when we get, I, I, I would prefer Wentz, uh, Goff, and Trubisky before we get to Rosen and Mayfield. For me, um, I, with Rosen, you know, there's there's plenty to like as a pure pocket passer, and if you give him enough time, I think he's going to uh, abuse defenses. Uh, he's one of the best middle of the field throwers that I've ever evaluated. He's really good in that area, but you do worry about the durability. Uh, he's not the most mobile guy. Uh, that that factors in, and of course, he's just he's not going to be for everybody uh, with the uh, uh, you know kind of the personality and all that. Uh, and then with uh, it's kind of similar thing with Baker. Uh, there's a lot to like with the accuracy, uh, what he did in college. Uh, you know, there's uh, but again for the Big Twelve, that's something that factors into this as well. Uh, coming from that Lincoln Riley offense that was tailor made for him, uh, it's uh, it makes it tough when you have to transition to the NFL level. There's gonna be things that. He's going to be asked to do. He just didn't have to do on a play-in, play-out basis uh, in college. So it's Donald for me is the clear top guy, and you know, I didn't really even mention Josh Allen, who I think's you know below everyone we've talked about. 
there, there's so much to like with Josh Allen from a physical standpoint, but he's just he's so undeveloped in key areas of playing the position. And I, I get the potential. I get you know what some teams are excited about, uh, what he could be, and you know once our coaches get their hands on him. But it's purely projection based, uh, and you know it's one thing that bothers me with him is he just you know he doesn't have that one game that you can point to and say yeah he, he put the team on his back and he was just, he had an outstanding game led him to victory that kind of thing yeah we can do that with Donald you can do that with Rosen and of course Mayfield you, you just can't do that with Allen and for a player that was playing in the Mountain West uh, the few you know the, the small sample size we have with him at the uh, you know playing against Power Five programs is you know well below average. So with Allen, there's too many red flags for me uh, to rank him with the, these other top guys we're talking about. I, I probably am exaggerating this, but I have made um, I as a as a guy who does not break down film and is not a, a steeped in the history of the NFL draft. I made a comparison to the 2004 NFL draft where we had Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger all go in the top 11, and you basically get three Hall of Fame quarterbacks who are franchise quarterbacks uh, for 15 years for their teams. The point I was trying to make is the depth of this quarterback class in terms of multiple guys who who it feels like on Thursday night we're going to see multiple teams bank their futures on these quarterbacks that we're going to see maybe three in the first three picks, maybe four in the top five. Like we're going to see teams go for it with these quarterbacks. And, and part of my, what I was writing about was the idea that I think the Browns sort of have multiple ways to get it right. That obviously this quarterback decision is important, but there's a lot of guys out there that to me have a chance to get it right. When you look at this class, Dane, and maybe try to take a historical look at it, do you feel like there's going to be multiple guys out of this class that are going to be franchise quarterbacks for the next decade, or or is am I am I exaggerating that a little bit? Is that too much to put on Mayfield, Rosen, Darnold, Allen? Well, I, I mean, I do think it is a lot to put. I mean, history tells us that half these guys won't pan out uh, that are taken in the first round. That that's that's what history tells us. You know, we don't see the 2014 class very often. Um, you know, even that 1983 class that. You know, we talk about uh, all the time as being one of the best quarterback classes of all time. Yep. Uh, you know, several of the first round quarterbacks that year uh, did not pan out. Uh, you know, really, Elway and Marino that obviously worked out pretty well, but you know, the other quarterbacks from that class did not. And in the uh, 2004 class, uh, J.P. Lawsman uh, was a part of that first round. Uh, you know, that yep. uh, he he did not pan out. So I think with this class. Yeah, we're going to see five go in the first round, uh, probably five in the top 12, top 15. And uh, history tells us that two or three uh, probably will not live up to that status. And so I, I think just going by, uh, you know, the, the odds and, you know, what history tells us, I think that's that's probably what's going to happen. And for me, again, Sam Donald's my top guy. I think he has not only do I like him the best in terms of what he brings to the field, but I also think he has the least amount of bust potential yeah. where it's just hard to see him not succeeding uh, to some degree. Uh, it's hard to not see him uh, see him just being a at worst a reliable starter in the NFL. And but you know I I, I, thought, I thought the same thing about Brady Quinn. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. it, you know that's and so much of this depends on situation. You know Ben mm-hmm. Roethlisberger. If the Browns draft Ben Roethlisberger at six or seven in 04, you know who knows how his career plays out yeah. uh, as opposed to going to eleven in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, it just it's so much of, and, and this goes under for every prospect. Uh, 
quarterbacks fit and the surrounding cast, uh, the coaching staff, all that matters so much. Um, you know, if one of these guys, or if one of these quarterbacks goes to a situation that just does not bode well for them and the coaching staff and the uh, supporting cast, then, you know, it's, uh, we can call him a bust. He'll go down to the bust in history, but it might be different if you end up somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm just I'm I'm fascinated how this stuff plays out. The one thing I know is that we knew that that this quarterback class was a group that people were talking about last year. When people were looking at Watson and Mahomes and Trubisky, everybody was saying, "Well, wait till next year because, you know, Sam Darnold had had that big bowl game for USC and people saw Rosen coming. I don't know if they saw Mayfield coming, but, you know, Allen could have come out last year and didn't. People saw this group coming as teams on Thursday are assessing maybe trading up to get their quarterback. If you're a team like the Giants, who maybe is thinking about quarterback, but it sounds like might not take a quarterback at number two. In 2019, a year from now, and and I know you're focused on this class, but I'm sure you you have some understanding of what's ahead. Does it make sense for teams who want a quarterback to get them now? It seems to me like maybe there aren't three or four guys that you would see now that you would say, you know what, they look like franchise quarterbacks that are going to be available in the draft next year. Should teams who want a quarterback be getting him now? Uh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, the next year's quarterback class is always better. You know, we, we I think we talk about that every yep. year. But with this year, you know, I, I like Jarrett Stidham from Auburn. Uh, the lock kid at Missouri has uh, a big-time future ahead of him if he fixes a few things. But for the most part, I, I feel much more comfortable with the players, the quarterbacks in this draft than I do looking uh, you know, ahead. But there's always you know, Trubisky a year ahead of where he went was not being talked about as a top 10 pick. Yep. Uh, Wentz was considered uh, you know, maybe a small school guy that could break into the first round, but no one saw him as the number two overall pick. So I, I think there will always be surprises. It just comes down to this is a win now league, and it, you know it, some teams are more desperate than others. The Jets, obviously, being one of those desperate teams, you know they definitely have to take a quarterback right now. Um, but the Giants, you mentioned them at number two, a, a first year uh, head coach uh, with Shermer, and you know with Gettleman back in New York as the general manager, they're in a situation where uh, they think they can win right now. They don't have to go for the future uh, if they don't love one of these quarterbacks, and I think that's just what it comes down to. If you love one of these quarterbacks, I don't think you should pass them up. If you like one of these quarterbacks, then it gets a little tougher. Uh, do you take one of the premier non-quarterbacks, or do you take a quarterback that you just kind of like and you don't, you're not all in on? And I think that's going to be the the tough thing with some of these quarterbacks because you could poke holes in all of them. Um, yeah. And I think there, I'm not sure how much of a consensus there is around war rooms with other quarterbacks, but especially this year, uh, you know, a guy like Josh Allen. There's going to be plenty of debate, and there has been the last few weeks as teams start their draft meetings. Plenty of debate about these guys. I don't think there will be any consensus. It just puts more pressure on the general manager who's in charge of making that final decision. So from Cleveland to New York, uh, both the Giants and the Jets, Denver. Uh, Denver is another good example. It's, okay, you've got your short-term answer with Case Keenum but you might have a chance to get the future. Do you do that, or do you add talent around Case Keenum to try and win in this small window that you have? So it's uh, the quarterback debate with all these guys. It's it's really interesting, and that, that's what makes uh, Thursday in the first round is going to make it so much fun. I want to get some context on some other guys that uh, that are going to go high in the draft and are considerations 
in Cleveland. I want to get some defensive end context on Bradley Chubb. When we look at Miles Garrett as the number one pick last year, when we look at Joey Bosa as the number three pick in 2016, even Javion Clowney as the number one pick, Javion Clowney as the number one pick in 2014. Are, are we talking like elite, elite with Chubb, or is he a cut below guys like Garrett and Bosa and Clowney? He is a cut below. Um, I don't think he's too far below, but he is. I, if if all of those four, uh, you know, if just take their prospect grades, uh, Chubb would, I think, easily be number fourth of that group. And, okay. You know, we're talking about some big time pass rushers here, so that's not necessarily a, a knock against Chubb because I think he's going to be a very, very reliable pro. Um, he's he might be the most polished out of all those guys coming out of uh, out of college, and he's the only senior of the group. Um, and one one thing you really like about Chubb is the production. Um, and you could you know with Miles Garrett, that was a question. Uh, with Joey Bosa, he owned five sacks his final year at Ohio State. And so, you know, Clowney, his final year at South Carolina, uh, put up huge red flags. With Chubb, you can't say that. He had 26 tackles for loss, 10 sacks uh, over his career in the last three years. He averaged 20 tackles for loss every single season. So the production is what you really like about Bradley Chubb. He's not that Vaughn Miller scream off the edge, just, the, you know, the, the raw physical traits are off the charts. He's not a, he's not a bad athlete by any means. But where he really shines is with his understanding of how to break down the rhythm of blockers using various techniques, uh, and he's very smart. Uh, you know, he can uh, kind of alter his plan mid-rush uh, based on what the blocker's trying to do. So he can use countermeasures uh, to throw something else at the blocker, uh, and you know, whether that's inside, outside, whatever, using different hand techniques. And he's very good in that respect. He's very smart, and so I, I think that's going to play well at the next level. He might not be a perennial pro bowler but i think he's going to be a guy that's going to uh be a very very reliable pro put up put up production um i don't think he's again i don't think we're gonna put him in the same breath as a miles garrett or joey bosa but i think you know what you're getting there's no assembly required out of the box bradley chubb's going to come in from day one and be a reliable pass rush threat I want to get some Saquon Barkley context, but I want to tease people with that because people in Cleveland are obsessed with Saquon Barkley. And I want to talk about another guy who I think is interesting in the top five, a position of need for the Browns. Uh, And this is an Ohio State conversation as well. When we look at Denzel Ward as a cornerback being considered in the top 10, maybe in the top five, Marshawn Lattimore out of Ohio State was the number 11 pick last year. Eli Apple from Ohio State was the number 10 pick the year before. How does Denzel Ward grade out as a prospect for you compared to his former teammates, Marshawn Lattimore and Eli Apple? Well, I think the, the question, Eli Apple's, I think, clearly the third uh, of those three. He okay. was, he's so raw coming out of Ohio State. Uh, but with Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore, I think that's a good uh, a good debate because, uh, you know, and obviously Marshawn Lattimore had a, a phenomenal rookie season for the Saints, but just as a prospect, uh, uh, you, you know, you there was a lot to like. And, you know, it could have easily gone in the top 10, uh, you know, just went right outside the top 10. And I think it'll be similar with Ward. Could easily go top 10. Could go as high as five, four to the Browns, five to the Broncos, six to the Colts. Uh, all three of those spots are, are very, uh, it, w- it would be not a surprise to see him go that high. I think with uh, the main difference between the two, because I think they're, they're both really good athletes, 
Um, it, I think the big difference might be just size. Uh, Lattimore hit that six-foot six plateau, uh, which is big for a cornerback. Denzel Ward uh, fell just shy of 5'11". And so, you know, not a huge disparity, but in the NFL, especially at corner, uh, you know, these skill positions, every inch matters. And so I, I think that might be the biggest uh, difference with, uh, between the two. But at the same time, they have the same exact arm length, uh, 31 and a quarter. So that's something that uh, will play favorably for Denzel Ward. Um, I think one area that Lattimore probably gets the edge is just uh, he has more proven ball skills. And that's okay. something with Denzel Ward. He needs to do a better job getting his head turned, locate, make plays on the football. Uh, he only had two interceptions uh, this past year. I think Marshawn Lattimore, his final year, had four for Ohio State. So, uh, you know, that's the biggest uh, thing. But with both these guys, premier athletes, uh, their feet, their hips, their body control, uh, they understand uh, what, the, uh, uh, what the receiver's trying to do, the route anticipation, the play sticky coverage, can play man, can play off. Uh, they're very feisty tacklers. Uh, th- they really force quarterbacks and receivers to be perfect with what they do. The, act, the, the throw has to be accurate, and the receiver needs to be uh, perfect with his footwork out of his break to give the quarterback that window. And so both these guys are premier corners, Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore, two of the best corners we've seen, you know, in the last 10 years. Interesting. It's just, I'm a Denzel Ward fan. He's a mm-hmm. really good kid. He's really humble and he's a little bit quiet, but like I, I, he played great. He's a, I feel like, um, obviously his speed is unbelievable, but um, I feel like he's a fighter on the field, you know, like he doesn't back down from anybody. I like Denzel Ward a lot. I just don't think, for instance, if we're talking Cleveland, like all the things they could do at four, when you see a guy like Lattimore go at 11, I just have a hard time wrapping my head around Denzel Ward at number four, given the value of that draft pick and all the things you can do there. And Denzel Ward being a guy who's going to go out and and then be your number one corner for a decade. Like if the Browns ended up trading down or something and they're picking at nine or 12 or doing something else, like I'm all for it. But I just have a little bit of a hard time wrapping my head around Ward at four for the Browns. Um, And I just liked Lattimore, mostly because of the size. Um, Your arm length is is a point well taken. I just like Lattimore a little more of... Maybe Ward's a tiny bit faster. I felt like Marshawn was maybe a little more physical. Um, I would have been more comfortable, like with Marshawn at four than Denzel at four. I, I just think it's like it's. I'm, I'm very, very curious to see where Denzel Ward ends up going. Um, but I feel like that kid's to think about that Ohio State had a three-man corner rotation uh, of Garyon Conley, Marshawn Lattimore, and Denzel Ward. Um, is crazy to think about what they had a couple yeah. years ago. It, it, and that's why, even though Ward is only a one-year starter, uh, you know, technically he still saw a good amount of snaps last year as part of that rotation. So yeah. I, it, the, the starts, uh, the number of starts over his career doesn't look very impressive, but the amount of snaps that he played, uh, definitely, you know, I think he's ready for the NFL level. All right, I want to get to Saquon Barkley. I want to talk running backs. It's a hard history for the Browns. Trent Richardson drafted with the number three pick in 2012, uh, I think helped usher in the era of people thinking that there's not value at the running back position. And then in 2013 and 2014, we had no running backs taken in the first round. But then 2015, Todd Gurley goes 10, Melvin Gordon goes 15. 2016, Ezekiel Elliott goes four. 
Last year, Leonard Fournette goes four. Christian McCaffrey, who's kind of a running back, kind of a receiver, goes eight. So that in the last three years, um, that's four running backs taken in the top ten. Fournette, McCaffrey, Elliott, Gurley. When we talk about Saquon Barkley, Dane, is Saquon Barkley at another level above these guys, or is he in the mix with those guys as people think about Saquon Barkley being a top five pick potentially? I think he's definitely in the mix. Um, I, I think he's part of that conversation. We talk about uh, Gurley and Zeke, uh, Fournette last year. We talk about uh, just coming out of college as prospects. He's in that discussion as being you know, one of the best. But for me personally, I don't think he's as good as Ezekiel Elliott was coming out of Ohio State. Okay. Uh, Barkley is a freakier athlete. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but we talk about the running back specific traits, vision, patience, decision making. That's where Zeke, I think, is far ahead of where Barkley is at this point. Uh, Barkley is he's a guy that has no problem. You know, he, he's constantly looking for the home run. Uh, you know, he'll bypass a single and a double looking for that home run. And sometimes he'll get it, but sometimes he'll, that'll get himself in trouble. And running backs who stop their feet in the backfield really worry me. That, that's something that I think you can't do at the NFL level. You better adjust because you're not going to have time to stop your feet, readjust, and uh, try to make something happen. Because defenders at the NFL level, they will catch up to you and they're not going to uh, let you get out of their grasp like they did uh, at times in the Big Ten last year. So for me, I like Barkley a lot. Uh, I really do. But he's closer. And he's a guy that's 233 pounds, but he's much closer to Christian McCaffrey as a prospect than he is Leonard Fournette. Just okay. talking his skill set, like mm-hmm. styles. You know, Even though Barkley's this big, hulking guy, he's not that power runner who's going to uh, you know slam it between the tackles. Uh, he's just That's not his style. He wants to be in space, and sometimes he'll – sacrifice uh the play design to try and get out in space and that could cost him at times so there's a lot to like about saquon barkley like, i mean i'm not a fan of drafting running back that high unless it's a certain situation you take uh you know zeke with the cowboys two years ago that made sense they were doing it for tony roma one last hurrah you know it didn't quite work out that way but it made sense with their offensive line last year with the jaguars and leonard fournette at four overall that made sense. He was kind of just the missing piece of that offense, what they were looking for, take some pressure off Blake Bortles, uh, really help open up the offense. Made sense. This year, you know, you look at the Browns, sure, are the Browns a better team with Saquon Barkley? Yeah, they are. Um, and I can't envision a scenario where I would be upset with my team drafting a Saquon Barkley because he is that good of a player. But when you talk about value and pairings, would I rather have – Bradley Chubb in the first and Ronald Jones in the second over, you know, Saquon Barkley in the first and then whatever defensive ends left for you. Yeah. I, I, give me the first one, the first option, because I feel good about the running backs in this class. It's a deep group. Uh, I, you know, I love Ronald Jones, carry on Johnson, the Georgia kids, Sony Michelle and uh, Nick Chubb, uh, Rashad Penny has something to offer. So I, I feel really good about who I can get in the second as opposed to the first and that's why, for me personally, I would pass, and I think that's probably what the Browns do. But it's uh, it's worth the debate because Barkley is just, he's just such a fun player. He's a freaky athlete, and you know what you're getting character-wise as a person, mm-hmm. not someone that you have to worry about. Um, but it, there's also something about something to be said about the investment. I mean, we're talking okay if if you're taking a Saquon Barkley at four overall, uh, obviously you're doing it because you think he's going to hit and be a big-time pro. Well, I mean, I'm already thinking about that. 
that extension that's looming. I mean, the Steelers can't sign Le'Veon Bell just because it's hard to put value at the running back position. Um, you know, is it better to just wait and, you know, get your running back in a second and, you know, go from there? Or is Barkley that special? To me, I'm going to wait. But it's really a worthy argument that I know a lot of war rooms are having uh, around the league. Dane, how many years have you been really analyzing the draft like this now? Um, uh, this is probably 10 years now. 10 years. Uh, okay. Yeah, I started doing my, I did my first draft book uh, in my uh, freshman dorm room at Mount Union. That was uh, what, 14 years ago now. And okay. so um, this is something that I've been working on for a while and uh, definitely, definitely my passion. Okay. So the thing, I, th- I again, I just love the context you're able to bring to this. I just hope it's informative for Browns fans. I just, I think they're going to be a lot of informed Browns fans when we get to Thursday night and then Friday and Saturday that this draft they've been geared up for so long. But I think it's it's not just important about this draft. It's about the context of what's been happening the last couple of years because obviously we know the Browns and Browns fans have gone through a lot of pain to get to this point. And people I know are hung up a little bit on passing on Carson Wentz, on passing on Deshaun Watson. So I think it's interesting, the context of, of building this team, this is a draft that clearly the Browns have been geared up for. When you look at the Browns being in this situation now, number one, number four, number 33, number 35, number 64, in terms of the context of, let's say, the best 100 players in, the, in this draft, the best 50 players in this draft, is this a good draft for the Browns to have five picks in the first two rounds in terms of the depth of very good talent, the depth of the top-end talent? Or is this not a great year in the context of the last decade to have five picks in the first two rounds? I think it is. I don't. I, don't, I would not classify this draft as a weak draft. And if I had to put uh, you know, some type of... Uh, you know, qualifier on it. I would say it's slightly above average. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't think it's you know amazing. You know, the best we've seen in the last decade. But I do think it's probably slightly above average. And and it depends on position. You know, if you need an offensive tackle, which you know the Browns could be looking at, it, it's not a great year. Um, there might be one for you at thirty three or thirty five, but you're not considering a tackle at four uh, more most likely. And even in a trade back situation, there's only a couple tackles that are going to go in the first round. So the tackle situation is not ideal, but certain positions you love quarterback, obviously, you know, this so many years, the Browns seem to miss out on having that top pick in the year. There's a quarterback, you know, Andrew Luck in 2012, yep. you know, they had to settle for Brandon Whedon. Um, you know, the, the, the year we talk about in 2004, uh, you know, instead of having a top pick where, they could have gotten Eli Manning or one of those quarterbacks. Uh, you know, they settled for Jeff Garcia in a free agency. And so this is a year where they not only do they have the top pick, uh, number one overall pick, but there are more than a few options, at quarterback that are worthy of consideration uh, in the top five. And then I think it also matches up some with their needs outside of tackle. That's a good corner class. We know that they are going to be looking at the cornerback position. We mentioned some of the running backs in this draft. Uh, they could use another pass rusher. I think that this group uh, definitely has uh, some uh, talented prospects, uh, whether you know, hand-on-the-ground defensive ends, guys that can just create pressure off the edge. Uh, and then on offense, wide receiver, another position that I think this, this group, it doesn't have that A.J. Green, Julio Jones, but you like the second and third round depth at the wide receiver position. So uh, it does matter position by position, but I think overall as a whole, I, I would classify it as just slightly above average. Last question, Dane, and thanks so much for your time on this. Who's a guy that you really like 
whether it might be in the second round on day two, um, whether it's a guy maybe later in the draft, if, if the Browns fans are sitting around and they're not sure, you know, some of the big names are gone, who's a guy that you think has that, that really caught your eye that maybe isn't as high on some other people's boards that Browns fans need to know about? Uh, I'm sure there's so many Brown, uh, the Browns fans. There's so many of them are, are so educated because they put the work in. Um, so I'm, I'm sure they've heard of these names. But uh, I love Carryon Johnson, the Auburn running back. He's to me deserving a first round consideration. I doubt he'll go that high, but um, I, I think he's that good. He's he's one of the toughest running backs I've ever evaluated. I, I mean, physically tough. He does not like to come off the field. He's a multi-dimensional player where he's going to block. He can uh, pass protect. He's also going to catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, you love the patience and what he brings to the field. So carry on Johnson's one of those guys. Uh, I love Anthony Miller uh, mm. out of Memphis, uh, former walk-on. All he did was you know go to Memphis and break all of Isaac Bruce's receiving records there. Uh, I, I really like what he brings to the field. He, he's not a big guy. But, you know, you can't help but see Antonio Brown flashes when you watch him play. He's a lot of fun. So I'm a big fan of him. And then uh, a tight end, I really like Ian Thomas, the Indiana tight end, who uh, not a guy that's probably going to have a big rookie year, but I think in two to three years we'll be looking back at this draft class saying, oh, wow, Ian Thomas really was a steal when he went in the third or fourth round or wherever he ends up going. So this draft, I mean, there's pro bowlers up and down this draft, uh, just up to these teams to find them. Dane Brugler, we love your work. Thank you for taking time. We know we've had you on the podcast before. You're one of my favorite guests. Thanks for doing it. And I know we'll have you on again sometime. Anytime. Thanks, Doug. And that's it for another Takes by the Lake. Thanks to Dane Brugler. Thanks to you guys for listening. Guess what? It's almost here. We will see you Thursday night. We'll have some podcasts coming back after this draft is over. What we think of what the Browns did. Uh, But for now, buckle up. That's a cliche. Am I really going to say buckle up at the end of this podcast? That's an awful ending. Get ready. It's going to be a good, fun time. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the the Browns continuing to rebuild this franchise. And we are here to watch it, evaluate it, and podcast about it. So thanks again. Read me at cleveland.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Doug LaMaurice. Man, it's going to be here. Man, what a crazy time to be a Browns fan. Good luck to you guys. See you Thursday. And that's it for this Takes by the Lake. We'll talk to you next time.